Thank you. Appreciate that. And Brother Sam Davis is going to come preach for us. And uh, we's, we've been here. Uh, I've enjoyed every single message. And I uh, hope and pray that it, I, I'm sure it's been a blessing to you. And, uh, and if not, just open your heart up to the Lord. And uh, I can assure you this, it will be if you just open your heart to the Lord. All right. Uh, Brother Sam Davidson, you come preach to us. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Let's go in our Bibles tonight to the 119th Psalm, Psalm 119, and uh, I want you to also uh, find and mark it in your Bible somehow, uh, Matthew chapter 11, and we're not going to start there, but we'll eventually get to Matthew chapter 11, and if you just mark that, well, that would be helpful, and have it ready, but we're in the 119th Psalm, and many of you if not everyone, recognize that the 119th Psalm, uh, every stanza in the psalm that's under a, a letter in the Hebrew alphabet, that what is it, about four verses out of 176 that don't have some reference to the Word of God? I think it's about four. I, I should know if I'm going to stand up and talk about it, but I can't remember... Right now, I didn't mean to talk about it, but anyway, I think it's about four verses. And so we understand also that the Word of God is referenced by His judgments, His statutes, His Word, His uh, commandments, His precepts, and the Word of God is referenced in about seven, I think it is, seven different ways. I shouldn't stand here and talk about it if I don't know, but I think it's seven, seven or eight ways. But you can look that up yourself. That's not really that important, but just the emphasis is upon the Word of God, of course. So we're going to read the uh, beginning in verse 161, verse 161 through 168. So I'm going to read it deliberately and uh, slowly and, uh, and, and follow along as we read through this short passage. Princes have persecuted me without a cause, but my heart standeth in awe of thy word. I rejoice at, I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. I hate and abhor lying but thy law do I love. Seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgments. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Lord, I have hoped for thy salvation and done thy commandments. My soul hath kept thy testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. I have kept thy precepts and thy testimonies, for all my ways are before thee. Now I want you to go back to verse number 65, right at the very heart of this particular, I call them a stanza, in verse number 165, where he says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Father, we do pray now your blessings upon the reading of thy word and this effort to preach your word. Again, it is a blessing to know that there are people that deem uh, the declaration, the preaching of thy word, they, they deem it important to turn aside on a, on a so-called off night and uh, come and give attention to the word. Nobody here, as far as I know, was made to come. But they come because uh, apparently there is regard for your word. And so we understand now that it can only be effectual by the working of your Holy Spirit, not by man's oratory or our best efforts. No, your Holy Spirit must make these truths um, work in our lives and our hearts and Convict us, convince us, help us, feed us, strengthen us, O oh God, by your precious word. We're so thankful for the Bible. 
as we consider this psalm and all the emphasis that's put upon the Word of God. Uh, I, I just, I can't imagine life without this book. I can't imagine navigating life without the guidance and the light that comes from your precious Word. So make this a profitable time and a helpful time in the lives of your people. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. I uh, had the wonderful privilege of being the president of Heartland Baptist Bible College there in Oklahoma City from uh, the year of 19, May of 99 till May of, 19, uh, of uh, 2018. And it was a wonderful experience. I remember, though, uh, one little stretch we were having there where I was made aware that there was some discontent, there was some drama going on. Imagine that among uh, 400 or so young people. But anyway, uh, some of that was going on. And uh, so there were some that were getting their feelings hurt very easy and being offended. And some were saying, I'm going to drop out or I'm going to go somewhere else and all that kind of stuff, you know. And so I don't know, uh, our executive vice president brought it to my attention and he thought, uh, Brother Sam, I've got this date right here. I think if you preach chapel, I think it'd be good if you address that. So I chose this song and uh, the passage that we just read. And so the way I started out was like this. It was a long platform like this, maybe a little wider and a little longer. But I started out and I was just going to illustrate for them that just slowly taking steps. This is I'm walking through life. All right. So I'm not worried about the platform. I'm trying to illustrate. I'm just on my journey of living this life and I'm walking uh, down the road of this life, trying to follow the Lord and trying to do the right thing, be a disciple of Jesus and do what I'm supposed to do. And I'm just walking down this road of life. Well, in our, uh, in, in the uh, college auditorium there, we had this division right here where you could go up into the choir and uh, choir loft from right there. And so what I did is beforehand, I had a young man chosen and I had him laying down here, our rail I don't think was quite this tall, maybe it was, I can't remember, but I, I had him laying down on the ground, didn't want anybody to know he was there. And so he was laying there the whole time we did the song services, specials and announcements and stuff like that, and we was still laying there, <laughs> got up to preach, and so I was walking along a little faster than I was showing you, and so as I walked along here, I had him prepared so that when I got right here, then I had put or had somebody find a long rod or stick uh, to put in his hand, a, a, a good long one. And so as I'm going along, then he sticks it out and I trip and stumble. Well, I, you know, I planned this. So I wanted to look real. And as it turned out, it really did because uh, I overestimated my coordination powers there a little bit. And I mean, I really, I went down, I crashed. And so here I am laying on the floor and the students are gasping, you know, and I, I could tell, you know, they're looking at him. They didn't know Joe Biden at that time, but I'm sure they were thinking along those lines. And so anyway, the, you know, I could tell they were wondering if I was hurt. Well, I was, but I was supposed to be doing this as a stunt, so I couldn't act like I was hurt, but it hurt, you know. And so I, uh, concrete, and so I went down and I got up and so and then the young man stood up and he had this stick and they're oohing and on and somebody booed and stuff like that uh, for tripping me up like that. And so basically what I tried to show them is that as you go through the course of this life, it is inevitable but that uh, there will be a trap stick. That's what you call that, a trap stick. Uh, something unsuspecting that's going to come into your life that will prove to be a trap stick or an obstacle or another word would be stumbling block or a snare, something to get in your way and take you down to keep you from going where you intended to go. And so the word for that in the Bible is offense. That's what, the, that's what the Bible word is. It's offense. Now, I think that uh, most people would understand 
that are uh, in touch with where we are in our culture and our society. And it's not brand new at all, but it just seems to have increased quite a bit over the past, uh, let's say, the past few couple or three decades, maybe even more over the past three years, where it seems like we live in a society that somebody is offended about something all the time until it's ridiculous, until it's ridiculous. And we know we have the woke crowd out here and we have political correctness and all of that. One thing I love about reading the Bible, I love reading about the prophets. They knew nothing of political correctness. I love to watch Jesus deal with the Pharisees. He knew nothing or, or cared nothing about political correctness. And so, but we live in a time when people are just so highly offended about almost everything. And what really troubles my soul is that the majority of so-called pulpits in the United States are, are, are trying to accommodate that and tippy-toeing around all the time to make sure nobody can be offended about anything. I think I've already expressed my disdain here. If it wasn't here, it was last week and probably the week before, wherever I was, and the week before that. But the disdain that I have for preachers to get up and preach, and if they are about to preach anything confrontational at all, they'll do something like this. Are we okay? Is everybody all right? You know? Because make sure we don't offend anybody here, you know. We want to make sure everybody comes back next Sunday. Can you see the prophet saying, Thus saith the Lord. Is everybody all right? <laughs> Not me. And, and Jesus speaking in no uncertain terms. Read Matthew 23, for example. And you'll see Jesus addressing. And he didn't stop to see. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the famous places in the Bible where Jesus gave some really hard sayings for people was John chapter 6 when he had fed the 5,000. And he talked about uh, the fact that except they eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, they can't have eternal life. And they they were puzzled by that. And as you read along there, Jesus explains what he's saying. But as you, as you read along there, what does it say? Uh, from that time, many of his disciples turned and followed him no more. And Jesus never said to them, wait, 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 I'll reword that. There's a different way to say that. Come back here. He didn't do that. In fact, he turned to his disciples and said, now what are you going to do? Will you go away also? And so it wasn't like he was being belligerent. We know better than that. He was not. But truth is truth. And, and so there is this desire to accommodate uh, what's happened. And, and now what happens in culture is, you know, in a secular culture, which we manifestly have a secular culture. And in a secular culture, what is sad to me is what happens out there it seems to eventually find its way under the church doors and creep into church life and church uh, uh, where uh, even authentic churches where the Bible is preached until uh, it seems like a pastor a lot of times putting out, trying to put out fires over somebody that's offended about something. Either they got offended from the pulpit or they got offended by somebody that dared to correct one of their children. Huh. They, they sent my child out of the class and took to the department superintendent and said, this child is missing. My child said they were doing nothing and my child never lies. I've been told that. And when I got up from the floor from laughing about it, I thought, you know, you need to face reality and such as that. But uh, people are so offended. And, it, and it's, it affects life in New Testament churches. There, I'm going to say right now, I've had the privilege of, in the, the years I've been trying to be a preacher, to preach in well over now 600 churches. And I try to learn. I try to, I'm a continuing education program. And I try to learn. I observe. And I've been all over the country. And the churches that are fussing and fighting are seldom ever in the midst of an issue that has to do with defending the faith. Most often, somebody got offended about something, or something didn't go their way, and, and, and somebody is offended. Then, showing their lack of spirituality, they make sure the problem gets bigger and, and more widely known until you got churches choosing up sides who you're for here. 
A good uh, wise preacher told me one time, he said, Sam, spiritual people take problems and make them uh, smaller. Carnal people take problems and make them bigger. And that's what often often happens in offenses. And most of the time that you go where there's conflict, where there's stress, where there's church strife and there's division as clear as this aisle separates this auditorium. I mean, generally, it's over the most pitily, inconsequential, petty stuff you can possibly imagine. Where people are acting like children instead of followers of Jesus Christ. Now, our text says something that to some people, they're going to say, oh, that, that's, <laughs> that's unachievable. Great peace have they which love thy law. And here's the line, nothing shall offend them. Somebody, there, there might be some, maybe somebody's here thinking, I don't know, I'm not accusing anybody, I'm just saying it's possible. Somebody's saying, oh, no, well, that's good, it's just not realistic, I mean, everybody's going to get offended, and such as that, and uh, it's, that, that is just absolutely not achievable. I'm going to submit to you tonight that it's not only achievable, it's where we're supposed to be. I, I like titles, and I don't know, I had seven or six titles for this thing. And one of the titles I was going to give it, or I did give it somewhere, I've got it written down, is Walking Above the Trap Stick. Walking Above the Trap Stick. You and I ought to be at such a place in our walk, we like to sing about living on a higher plane. Well, if we're actually living on a higher plane by reason of our communion with the Lord and our walking in the Word, then we ought to be able to live our life walking above the trap stick. In other words, it should never take us down. I tried to illustrate right there, and I hit the ground and went down, but we, it's not like trap sticks won't be there in our walk and in our life, but it's not only achievable, it's where we're supposed to live as a child of God. You see, Jesus said two things about offenses. We're not going to turn there. One's in Matthew and one's in Luke, and you can look it up later on. But Jesus said two things about offenses. He said, it is impossible, but that offenses come. It is is impossible for you to follow Jesus and try to be his disciples. It is impossible, but what you're going to have to deal with, trap sticks, stumbling blocks, snares. Come on, we have an adversary. His name is the devil. And, uh, and, and the adversary is after our ruin. That's what he does. He destroys. And he lies. And so it, to think about living a life of following Jesus and not having to deal with any snares or trap sticks or obstacles. Let's see. I think I had another word there that would be a good stumbling blocks. Yeah. Uh, to think about living our life following him without them being in our path is just unthinkable. Jesus said it's impossible, but that offense has come. And if you don't think that's right, then right quick, why don't you do this? Just pull out a piece of paper and start writing down the famous people in the Bible that had smooth sailing from the time they uh, uh, committed themselves to God till they got to the end. And they just had smooth sailing. The sun was always shining on their brow and the wind was always at their back. They just had smooth sailing. Well, that didn't take long because there aren't any like that. And the, the master said, it is impossible, but that offenses come. Then he said another thing, and this is in the Gospel of Luke. And he said, um, it is needful that offenses come. It's not only impossible, but that they come, but Jesus said, it's needful that they come. What about that? Needful? Yeah. Apparently, now watch this please. Apparently in our fellowship and our uh, submission to walk with the Lord, walk with Jesus Christ and try to be a genuine and authentic disciple, apparently in the providential sovereignty and wisdom of Almighty God, He allows, He may even bring, 
or allows obstacles and trap sticks to come into our life for a purpose. There's a reason for it. And as you go through the Bible again, I would ask you, think about those that mean the most to you in the Word of God. I mean, you know, some of your heroes of the Bible. Or if you don't want to stop and think about that, just go to Hebrews 11. How'd those people get into the book, into the, uh, the hall of the faithful there in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11? How did they get their names there? Well, because they had a life of ease and smooth sailing. No, that's not right. As a matter of fact, every one of them that we highly regard will look back at them as heroes because the trips, trap sticks were there, the obstacles were there, and the potential for offense was there, and they kept going anyway. And they followed God anyway. And they didn't stop anyway. They wouldn't go down. They just kept being obedient to the Lord. See, And so, as you read through the Word of God, you can see that. I mean, the thing that comes to my mind, if, uh, if, if these trap sticks and these pitfalls, uh, potential stumbling blocks and snares, if they're for a purpose, like, who could be helped by that? You know, and one of my favorite stories is that of Joseph. <laughs> and so every time he turned around, I mean, God gave him a dream. I know I've heard a lot of people, I don't have time to preach on this, but I've heard a lot of people talk about Joseph. And Joseph was this spoiled brat, was a favorite of his daddy, and he had the coat of many colors, and he had these dreams, and he couldn't wait to tell his brothers and make them feel small. I don't know. You sound like you're reading a funny book, if that's what you're talking about. That's not what I see in there at all. And when, when Joseph had the dreams that showed that God was going to use him in a special way, I think he may have told his brothers, hoping that they could understand that God is at work and God cares about their family, and we ought to believe God and walk with God. And so it's not his fault that they gave a bad response and then sold him into slavery. And when he went down into slavery, what happened? Well, he got promoted and went into the house of Potiphar. Then what happened? Then he, Potiphar's wife lied about him. He got put in jail. What happened once he got in jail? Well, he gained the respect of everybody because he kept caring about people and caring about being godly. And, and so how did he get repaid by that? I'll tell you how he got repaid by that. Uh, Potiphar and the Pharaoh, they forgot all about it. They didn't even, they didn't even remember it. And there had to be some more dreams. But I'm just saying, everywhere that Joseph went, there were these obstacles in the way. But you never see him going down. He never, I fell. He never fell. He just kept walking and kept going and kept doing that. All right. And so what do you see there? But what with every time that the tramp stick was before him or the obstacle was before him, and he survived it, jumped over it, went around it, kicked it out of the way. However you want to look at it, I don't care. Whatever he did, he kept going and was better for it. I said he was better for it having faced the obstacle or the tramp stick and not going down. See, So, who is going to escape this? No one. Uh, so I'm glad you came on this Tuesday night. I'm here to encourage you. You're going to have trap sticks in your life. <laughs> You're serious about following Jesus? Get ready for some opposition. Get ready for some obstacles. Get ready for some snares to be in your way. The adversary is mindful of those who are genuine. Uh, the adversary, I've heard this said, I don't know if it's exactly right or not, but it makes some sense to me that he is far less concerned about the passive, indifferent uh, a believer that sits in the pew and he listens and it goes in one ear and out the other ear and nothing ever changes in their life but they are going to go to church and they're going to be there. It's just that they're not taking much out the door. But I'll tell you who he's interested in. He's interested in those that are committed. Those who are growing. Those who take in the Word of God and act upon the Word of God. And, and those whose lives are being changed on a, on a regular and constant basis and affected by the Word of God. Oh, yeah. You're going to have them. The other thing I'd like to tell you is don't expect that you won't. Just don't expect that. Well, great. 
I go to church on Tuesday night. I need to hear some words of encouragement. And what do I hear? Well, I hear. If you follow Jesus, you're going to have obstacles in your way and trap sticks in your way and snares in your way. And you have an adversary. And you're, you're, you're crazy in your head if you think it's not going to happen. Thank you very much. Some of you are thinking about going home now and watching Joel Osteen. Because he'll, he'll help you find the champion that's in there or something like that. <laughs> but it is the Word of God. Look in uh, Matthew chapter 11. Now, don't lose your place here because we're coming back to spend a little time in, um, in the 119th Psalm. But go to Matthew in chapter 11. I want, I want to show you an account here. And uh, what Jesus, what he did there is for our benefit as well as the man that he was dealing with. All right. So look down in chapter 11 and verse number one. So it came to pass, Jesus had made an end of commanding his, his 12 disciples. He parted thence to teach and preach in their cities. Now, verse two, when John, this is John the Baptist. Now, when John had heard in the prison, the works of Christ, John was in prison. Can I have your attention? He was in prison. Why was he in prison? <laughs> because he didn't understand political correctness. <laughs> and and uh, so Herod had got himself his brother Philip's wife. And this made a big stink in all of the Jewry. Uh, Herod was the uh, governor in Galilee. His brother Philip was over in Itumia. And Perea and that area, and they took a trip to Rome. And on this trip to Rome, uh, Herod seduced his brother Philip's wife. When they got back to their responsibilities in uh, in Galilee, well, then he he divorced his wife and married his brother Philip's wife. And oh, of course, everybody was talking about it. It's sort of like some of the immoralities taking place and among politicians and leaders in our country, and it makes news everywhere in every magazine. News travels around the world. You can have the royal family have some of their stuff going on, and they flood the markets with it here like we care, and it goes on and on. I mean, it's just, it's just ridiculous. Well, that's human nature. It's always been that way. So if you're thinking just because it was back there in that day that news didn't travel, it traveled and there was everybody that had all kinds of opinions about this. And I think it must have boiled down the bottom line that Rome said, as long as Herod is doing what we have him there to do, then his moral life and how he deals with his family, that's not, we're not worried about that. And then there would have been others affected by the Hollywood of the time that would have said, well, if they were in love, why shouldn't they be together? You owe it to yourself to be happy. And so the society was pretty much looking the other way or putting a stamp of approval on it. And nobody was calling him into account about it. And John the Baptist knew about it. And John the Baptist said, oh, no, no. This ain't going to work. So he gets an audience with Herod, however that happened. He has this audience with Herod, and when he stands before him, he just comes right out and says it. It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother Philip's wife. And basically what he is saying is it doesn't matter what Rome says about it. The seat of Rome doesn't mean anything in the economy of God. Rome doesn't establish what is moral and not moral. In fact, their own philosophers called Rome a cesspool of iniquity. And so Rome doesn't understand, and the people of the society that are godless don't understand. But there is a God in heaven, and God cares, and it is not lawful before God that you have your brother Philip's wife. Right. What do you think they said? Oh, thank you. No. <laughs> Nope, they put John in jail. He goes to jail. I have to remind you of something here. He went to jail. I, I hope you'll really think about this. He went to jail from center stage in what God was doing in this world. He was on center stage. If you, if you look at it all like a big program and a big play playing out John was center stage why preparing the way of the Lord the greatest thing going on planet earth at that time was that Jesus was here 
the greatest thing going on was he was about to be made known. And until he was made known, the greatest thing that was going on was preparing the way of the Lord, which John did. And people were coming and they were repenting and being baptized. I'm talking about even some, even some, uh, uh, some of the, um, what do you call it, the tax collectors, the publicans. Some of them even got saved. And, uh, and, and some of the Roman soldiers got saved. Listen to John. And repented of their sin. <laughs> and, and there were some others uh, from all over Jewry that were coming. And they were believing and un falling under the conviction of God about their sin. And they were repenting of their sin. And John was baptizing them till there was this spread about everywhere. Incredible. And, and, but John didn't say, look at me, look what I'm doing. He said, uh, the one is coming that when he comes, he must increase and I must decrease. There's one coming after me, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. And he said, I'm baptizing you with water, but there's one coming after me that will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. <laughs> and so John the Baptist is preparing the way of the Lord. And then that moment came while he was baptizing in the river, uh, near the river Jordan. And as he was baptizing there, this is the way I have it pictured. Now, if you don't agree with this, we can still be friends. But I think that John was baptizing, and as he was baptizing, he had this guy right here, and he was starting to immerse him and put him under, and when he looked up, there was Jesus on the bank, and he just dropped that guy and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Oh, yes, somebody help him up here. Because <laughs> that got his attention now. None of you have ever read that and thought, I'm not sure John really believed that. No, when you read it in the Gospel of John, and chapter number one, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. It was, it, it was said with a passion. It, it, this was an awesome moment. This is what he had been praying, preparing for, for the Messiah to be known. And that's him right there. The Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. See why he said center stage? Not according to what Rome thought about it. Not according to what the various cultures of the world thought about it. But from the economy of God, the center stage was taken up by John the Baptist pointing the way of Jesus Christ. And he went from that position to jail. And stayed there. And I'm just trying to read between the lines. Surely thinking, after he started hearing about, you know, the marriage of Cana and the water turned to wine. And the miracles really began to roll in Jesus' life and ministry after that. And it was everywhere. And they were coming to tell John, uh, his disciples that are now following Jesus, come back and give him reports. And the miracles are being done. Oh, the miracles. John, what do you think about this? Uh, I'm thinking John thought, if he, not if he can, but since he can, open the eyes of the blind and cleanse a leper and make the lame to walk. Since he can do all of that, turn water into wine, he's able to do all of that. Uh, these little uh, locks on these jail doors don't mean that much to him. He'll get me out of here. Yeah, yeah. Yes, he'll, he can get me out of here. And sure enough, he could. He that said, I could call 12 legions of angels to come and deliver me. The one that said that could have sent one angel or no angel and got John out of jail. But he stayed in jail. And the fame and popularity of Jesus spread everywhere. Continued to spread. John was hearing about it. And they were telling him more people following Jesus than ever came out to Jordan. See you. Well, that's John wasn't into comparing crowds anyway, but it must have worked on him some. Because while he's waiting there in jail, and Jesus is teaching, preaching, performing miracles, and his fame spreading abroad everywhere. I'm talking about Galilee, Judea, beyond Jordan, everywhere there were Jews. This Jesus of Nazareth is becoming a household name, and he's in jail. And uh, so we read in our account, he heard uh, in the prison works of Christ, that's in verse 2, he sent two of his disciples. 
You, you go find him. Look in verse 3. You go, you, you go find him and say, and say unto him, Art thou he that should come? Or do we look for another? You think this man wasn't about to stumble? Friends? The same man that said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world is now saying, Go ask him, did I miss it? Is he the one? Or should we look for another? And that makes my heart heavy for John that he got so low. It was weighing on him so much <laughs> that the one who with all authority pointed to Jesus as the Lamb of God says now, is he or not? I'm telling you, the stumbling block is in his way. The snare is there. The trap stick is out and he's about to go down. He is. And look at verse four. Oh, the way that Jesus deals with his struggling followers. Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. Well, like what? The blind receive their sight? This is pretty much not a direct quote, but a reference to Isaiah 35, Isaiah 61, where Isaiah prophesied of what the Messiah would do when he came and how they would know he was the Messiah because he would have power over these things. And he said, the blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. Are you listening to this, ladies and gentlemen? And Jesus said, you go tell John that everything that the prophet said that I would be, or that the Messiah would be, everything that he said the Messiah would be is coming to pass in me. Now you go tell him that. That the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled in me. Does that answer your question? Is he the one? I'm the one. You know of anybody else that's out there healing and opening blind eyes and raising the dead? Well, of course not. Jesus said, well, it's being fulfilled on me. Oh, by the way, tell John one more thing. Look in verse 6. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. <laughs> if I went to, tonight to the Beatitudes, I love the Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we started off with the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Uh, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Uh, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed. And we talk about the blessedness. Don't you? We like to talk about that. If a person wants to know blessedness, if they want to know that abiding joy that is beyond happiness, that has nothing to do with circumstances, but an abiding joy that comes from being what we are supposed to be as followers of Jesus Christ, he said, you're going to be blessed. Somebody said, yeah, and what if you're persecuted? Oh, he got that one too. Because blessed are they which are persecuted for my name's sake. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. <laughs> and so Jesus said, if you, want to know what my, if you want to know what blessedness is, then he said, what you do is you humble yourself. That's poor in spirit. You mourn over sin. You don't excuse your sin. Defend your sin. Compare your sin. You acknowledge your sin before God. What are you saying when you add all those up? Is if you want to know blessedness in your life, that abiding peace, that abiding joy, that constant. We sing this song, or I've heard it sung, we sing it at our church, constantly abiding. Constantly, oh, it's a great song, it ought to be sung. Constantly abiding. Well, if you want to know that and know his presence and know his fellowship, then start with humility of heart. That's the first beatitude. Start with dealing with your sin. When you know you've sinned, don't act like you didn't. Deal with it. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Deal with your sin. And then go through the Beatitudes. And you know what Jesus said? You'd know blessedness even in persecution. Even when men are saying all men are evil against you. Even when they go on their social media accounts and say ugly things about you and your family and your church and on and on. 
all that stuff. That they, they have no ability to take away what you have in Jesus Christ and the blessedness of knowing Him and His fellowship and His peace and His joy and the Holy Spirit in you. There's not a social media person anywhere that can take that away from you if you won't let them. If your focus is not on people's opinion, but upon pleasing the Lord. So, so he said, you tell John, blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. Well, what Jesus is apparently saying is, there's a real stumbling block before. John is in a precarious spot right now. There's a real stumbling block in front of him. There is a trap stick that the adversary would love to see John. Wouldn't the adversary love to see John the Baptist deny that he ever said Jesus is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world? Wouldn't the adversary have liked that? Is this on? It's on. Wouldn't the adversary have liked that? Of course he would. John's in this precarious spot right here. And Jesus said, you tell him that blessed, you're you're not going to know my blessedness just by freedom out of jail. You're not going to know my blessedness because you're baptizing again and preaching to multitudes again. No matter how desirous you are to do just that. That's not where you're going to find your blessedness. You're going to find blessedness if you get this question to your answer right and you understand, I don't look for another. I am He. Believe me. Trust me. Obey me. Stay faithful. Don't go down. And if you read the rest of the book, you can see that Jesus had some really amazing and wonderful things to say about John the Baptist. And so I'm allowing that he took to heed, uh, took to heed what the report, uh, what Jesus said to tell him. And John the Baptist moved on. And the idea is, John the Baptist, if you stay in jail till they separate your head from your shoulders, you can know my blessedness, whether you're in or out of jail or even with your head cut off. And they cut it off. And he didn't get out. Hmm. But the testimony of Jesus is, neither did he go down. You know what I mean by go down? He didn't turn his back on the Lord. He didn't deny the faith. He didn't deny that he had ever promoted Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah, the Son of the living God. No, sir. So what, you, what I'm, I'm saying all of that to talk to us. And what I'm saying is what Jesus said to him, blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. What Jesus is saying to him, we better take that as being said to us as well. Because he means it for us. This, this wouldn't be something that was unique to John the Baptist. It wouldn't belong to anybody else. Oh, no. This would be true about all the disciples. It would be true of everybody that embraced the truth that Jesus is the Son of God and committed their way to him. Yes, it would go all the way to the 21st century and it would include people like you and me. And I'm just telling you on the authority of the Word of God, you and I are going to know the blessedness we're supposed to know when we are not offended because of our commitment and devotion to Him. Back to our text. Psalm 119. Because the question should be maybe in our mind. Okay, 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 I see. I'm not to be offended. How does a person get there? How does a person get to the place where they're not offended? How does that happen? Well, different people have different makeup. Some are really strong and they don't care what anybody says about them. Okay. But I think we're talking about something more significant than personality differences here. Yeah. Because, okay, so look in verse uh, 161. Interesting how he, the psalmist starts here, isn't it? And, and who knew more about this than David? Princes have persecuted me without a cause. So was that a po- question? Can I have your attention? A question. Is that a potential trap stick? People of authority, princes, people in authority, persecuting him without a cause? 
What did he do to deserve this? Well, you go back to the days of Saul, the bizarre, weird king that they had. What did David do to deserve him making him a target practice, throwing his spears? <laughs> what did David do? Nothing. He did nothing against Saul. If Saul had a lick of sense in his head and a spiritual bone in his body, he would have taken advantage of the fact that David would have been the best friend he had. Nobody could have helped him more than David did. Look at the giant out there laying down with his head off. Come on, friends. I'm just saying David was a man. But how did it turn out? Well, it turned out that people in places of authority were persecuting him without a cause. How did he hold up under that? Well, he writes about it. Look at it. Verse 161. But my heart standeth in awe of thy word. So what we're going to do is talk about how to keep from being offended or going down because of some stumbling block or snare that's in the way. And it has everything to do with our attitude toward the Word of God. And he says right here, I, you, know, you know what helped me stand in that time, David said? When the princes, people of authority were coming after my life, I stood in awe, not of the authority of the throne. I stood in awe of God's Word. He was in awe of the Word of God. You read your Bible? Yeah. Yeah. What kind of answer is that? You read your Bible? How do you keep from saying, oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember when I first did this at Southwest Baptist Church, I think I had some people thought maybe I'd gone over the edge just a little bit. But we finished a wonderful Lord's Day on Sunday night, and I was getting ready to dismiss everybody, go back to the foyer, and I said, aren't you thankful for this book? I love this Bible right here. And some people said amen, and others in the foyer said, well, did you kiss the Bible? You you could do worse. And the psalmist said, I stand in awe yeah. of thy word. Yeah. Did you ever talk to anybody? And they said, um, I, well, I read the Bible. I didn't, I, there's, there's a whole lot I don't understand. And I can get real sarcastic. And I want to say, no. <laughs> no. When I was uh, starting out in the ministry, I, just, uh, I was 21, just turning 22. And an old, old teacher, preacher <clears throat> was in that church retired. And he stood up and said, our pastor had him talk to the congregation about his life. And he wasn't far from going to heaven. And he said, I've preached this Bible for 62 years. And he said, just when I feel like he's feeble, holding on to the pulpit there, 86, 7 years old. And he said, and just when I feel like I'm about to know the Bible well enough to preach it after he'd written books on Revelation, the doctrine of the church, and all kinds of things, pastored churches, and was the dean of J. Frank Norris's school in Fort Worth, Texas, and all of that. I mean, the guy had an incredible ministry. And he said, just when I feel like I'm about to know it well enough to preach it, I can't go anymore. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's encouraging. And then I thought, no, that's not encouraging. I don't know how to feel about that. But I do know this, that Dr. Frank Godso helped me understand that I hold in my hand a work of awe. The word awesome is tossed around like everything's awesome. A team wins, and isn't that awesome? That's awesome. My team won, or a team loses. Hey, they lost. Isn't that awesome? Now, come on. Awesome is tossed around. If a guy meets a girl, he falls in love the first time. She's so awesome. She's awesome. And the girl's awesome. He's awesome. And everything's awesome. And the word is abused quite a bit, I think, in our time. This is a work of law right here. You want to know why David, uh, the psalmist, was where he was in not being offended and able to write this and say, that the people of high authority have persecuted my life. But I stand in awe of the Word of God. I'm not in awe of people with power and authority, David said. I am in awe of His Word. And if, if you're a believer in Jesus, you're a follower of the Lord, and you haven't spent enough serious time in this Word to be in awe of the fact that you carry around the eternal inspired 
word of the living God in your hand, then you need to adjust your attitude about the Bible. Stand in awe of it. And the more you the more you labor to understand it, the more you work to understand it. I read a lot I don't understand. Well, deal with what you do understand. Yeah. There's enough to keep you busy almost every time through of what you just learned this time through. Yeah. If God dumped the whole load on you at once, it'd kill you. Yeah. So we take it in meals through the process of time. We take it in meals and He continues to feed us and it continues to be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Pastor and I were visiting today, and we were talking about my Bible reading, Bible reading schedule, and all that kind of thing. And it's not like, oh, here I go. This is the sixth time this year I've read this. No, that's not the nature of this book. Not not if I'm where I'm supposed to be. In my appetite, my interest in the Word of God, it gets more and more awesome all the time. But he didn't just stand at all. Look down in verse number 62. I rejoice at thy word. He said, I rejoice at the fact I have the Word of God. I rejoice at thy Word. I rejoice that God has given us His Word. How much do you rejoice? As one that findeth great spoil. I can't, I can't imagine anybody spending time on it, but there are people that watch these game shows and they win a car. A, a little... And sometimes it's a Ford. And they're over here just going crazy. They're just totally ecstatic about because they won this prize here. They won. The price was right or whatever the case might be. And they advertise how wonderful casinos are. And if you notice the commercials, everybody's winning all the time. And they're all rejoicing. And you go to the house of God and the preacher might labor to be in the Word and to feed the flock and to feed the Word of God. And man, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to see and, and, and not judge, you know. Because I used to think I could really read people, and I found out that's not even my job. That's not even my job, and I was missing it far more than I realized I was. And that's not my job anyway. But I'm just saying, if you're in the house of God, and you're listening to the Word of God, and the Word of God is speaking to your heart and lighting up your soul, and it's picking you up, and it's assuring you and strengthening you, there's not a thing in the world wrong with saying, Amen. And you might even smile when you say it. <laughs> Amen. There's nothing wrong with saying hallelujah. Now what are you trying to do? Get a Pentecostal church going here? No, I'm not trying to do that. Sound doctrine will take care of all that wildfire and all that kind of stuff. You preach sound doctrine, you'll call out things that don't belong there. And you can actually have a rejoicing and even a shouting people that's genuine and real and sincere. I can show you in the Word of God where, they're going to sh- where they shouted. And I can show you in heaven if you make it there and you're truly saved, you're going to shout too. No, that's not my personality. It will be, bud. <laughs> It will be. Absolutely. There's plenty to shout about. Because everything, everything that they shout about in heaven in the book of the Revelation, chapter 4 and 5, everything they shout about there is already true of Jesus now. So why aren't we shouting about that once in a while? Well, I just don't believe you ought to shout in church. Well, what does he mean when he says, shout unto the Lord? If you don't do it in church, when do you do that? Amen. I didn't even plan to go here. This is going good. <laughs> it's right. It's true. It's like people say, I just, I just, oh, I went to a church and they clapped in there. I just don't believe in clapping. Well, the Word of God, Psalm 42. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Now, I'm sure it doesn't mean do that. But that's what it says. So there must be some time that it's appropriate to clap. I preached in a church and preached along, and a few people said amen, but most of them at certain points would clap. Somebody said, I bet that got you, didn't it? You got me fired up. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm, not more, I'm not worried about people getting out of control and clapping. Like I said, you keep things genuine. You keep the Word of God true. You rightly divide the Word of truth. You have the right doctrine. And don't you worry about a little emotion getting into the service because there's plenty to shout about. He said, I love thy word like one that finds what kind of treasure? Like one that finds a great spoil. Great spoil. 
I studied him one time. It's in my new office when we built uh, the big three-story building there. But anyway, offices up there. And I was up there quite a bit by myself at times at night and such as that. And I remember having a breakthrough. And it wasn't just a breakthrough so I could finish the sermon. It was a breakthrough that just got to my soul. And I went out. Nobody was in the church. Nobody was there. And I went out. And that building is it's nearly a block long. And I went out, I ran down this way, I turned that way, I ran about the whole block that way, and ran back and went and sat in my office and said, oh, glory to God. Somebody said, oh, you, you must have been under a lot of stress and a lot of pressure. <laughs> no, beloved, I found something more valuable than great treasure. Yeah. If I'd have stumbled onto a gazillion dollars, nobody would blame me for acting that way. But when I find something that has more value than great treasure, yeah. what are we supposed to do? Nothing? He rejoiced. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great treasure. <laughs> how did they act? I don't know, but however they acted, that's how he acted. Oh, how are we doing? Everybody okay? <laughs> now look at this. He not only stands in awe, but he rejoices. Look in verse 163. I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. I love the Word of God. I love the Word of God. Do you love the Word of God? I'm not accusing anybody. I'm just saying. It, this is directly related to what we're talking about. That nothing shall offend them. You don't just get there because of your personality or your mama taught you this or your mama taught me that. You're that. My mama taught me something. She said when people laugh at you, you know, you do something dumb. People laugh at you, laugh with them. She said, that's the best way to do it. I, I, I thanked her for that. Before she went to heaven, how many times did I thank her for that? Because I stumble around, say some dumb things from the pulpit, call people the wrong name, do all kinds of things. I messed up. Oh, yeah, I can mess up anything. But if people laugh and they say, oh, just laugh with them or get offended. And you said, I love thy law. And uh, seven times, look at this, the, the word of God was so in him, he said, seven times a day do I praise thee. This isn't an admonition for everybody to say, okay, I'm going to do this at this time, this time, this time, seven times a day. So seven times a day, you do like the Muslims do, five times a day, and they go bow down and talk to no one. Because ain't no one there. We don't want Baptist ritual. We don't want that. But if we're in the Word of God, aren't there times you just can't but praise the Lord? <laughs> and, and not only that, but look down in verse 166. This is so, so important. Lord, I have hope for thy salvation. See, you can tell he, that he is in awe of the Word, and he rejoiced in the Word, and he loved the Word. And, and verse 166, Lord, I have hope for thy salvation. And what's the next word, please? Done thy commandments. My soul hath kept thy testimonies. And I love them exceedingly. I have kept thy precepts. Can I have your attention? What we're doing is talking about how do you live like that? That nothing offends you. How can you live like that? You can't if you don't love the word of God. I said, you cannot if you're not in awe of His Word. You're not going to do it in your own strength. The world isn't going to help you with this. Godless psychologists are not going to help you. But the Word of God will help you. And not only did He rejoice in it and love it, He acted upon it. That's why I emphasize that I've done thy commandments. I have kept thy thy testimonies and I've kept thy precepts. Do you understand what he's saying? He is just simply saying, when we know what the word of God says forevermore, act upon it. Is the word of God going to lead us to a step of faith? Yes. Then take the step. Is the, Lord, uh, is the Word of God going to humble us and make us realize that we should humble ourselves before God and worship Him? Yes, it does. Then worship Him. Yeah. Does the Bible say that we should put away bitterness and anger 
And there are some people that attend Baptist churches all the time and carry anger and bitterness and lack of forgiveness for years and years and years and never empty themselves of it. Act upon the Word of God. Forgive like you've been forgiven. Give it to God. Don't try to take matters into your own hand. It's God that, what, what does he say in Romans chapter 14? Uh, 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 Vengeance belongeth to me, saith the Lord. Right. Let him take care of it. Give it to him. Right. I, I just can't do that. Okay, then. Stumble. Yeah. Be offended. Yeah. You already are. Because bitter people are going nowhere. Did you ever hear anybody talk and say, that person is a member of our church. They're one of the most bitter, unforgiving people I ever saw. But boy, they're a blessing to our church. <laughs> I've never heard that. Neither of you. You know why? Because they're not. Act upon it. If it has to do with money, act upon it. Give. Forgive. And I've kept thy precepts. And what is the consequence of that? Not only not offended, but just the nature of it. Excuse me just a second. To not be able to be offended could cause a person to know a significant amount of peace in his life that a lot of people never know about. Because the people that are easily or are offended, easy or not, the people that stumble, that go down, the trap stick got them, and they're not up. They didn't get up and keep going. They didn't live above the trap stick line, and they got offended. Yeah. Their joy is gone. It's, it's a sad thing to see. They like peace. If peace is this big, great peace is this big. If you ask somebody, do you have peace in your heart? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes. That's not what he's talking about. The kind he's talking about, nobody has to ask you if you have it. Great peace. If a multitude is this big, a great multitude is this big. Study the word out. If peace is this big, great peace is like this. And he's not trying to use hyperbole here. This is how it is. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Hello? Yes? Okay. Oh, well, don't worry. Don't you worry about that. No, no, I'm not offended. No. No, I said I'm not. No, you can't offend me. You can't. I said you can't offend me. Well, go ahead and try. (laughs) Nobody can live like that. That's not what your Bible says. And honestly... If we find ourselves offended, it says far more about us and our relationship to his word than the person that offended us. If you can be offended, you need to get the focus off of the person or persons that offended you and go home and look in the mirror and the mirror of God's word and see, I have a problem. Because if I'm where I'm supposed to be in the Word of God, nothing shall offend me. So, Lord, we pray your blessings upon this effort to expound upon your Word. And I know for a fact it's possible for people to be in their place, in their pew, every service offended without peace and going nowhere.
in their spiritual journey. I know that's possible. I know it's possible to be the one that stands in the pulpit and be going nowhere because of offense. And I'll forever thank you for that preacher that came from Kansas to preach to preachers in Northwest Oklahoma that opened the Bible. And by the preaching of your word and the example of Moses convicted my selfish heart that I was making it all about myself. And to question the pastor was highly offensive to me. I look back on that and think how disgusting that must have been for the poor saints to see such pettiness. Thank you, thank you, thank you, O God, for your word. Once again, I'm, I'm not able to say to anybody in this room, you sure need to act upon this tonight. I'm not able to say that. But I dare say that if there are those among us who know that you, so to speak, rung their bell tonight, that they ought not to ignore it and walk out the door. That they ought to spend some time with you and say, oh God, I've been in this condition of being offended. I've stumbled and my life has not moved on for you, for you and serving you. My life has not moved on because I was able to be offended. And oh God, I want to know that peace. And it begins by a commitment to your precious word, to love your word, to stand in awe of it, to rejoice in it. And the more one will act upon what they read and hear in your word, then the more rejoicing there is going to be, the more victory there's going to be, and the more peace there's going to be. I would pray for everyone in this room to know what that great peace is like. And it's directly related to their devotion to your word. I pray in Jesus' name that your will would be done this invitation time. Amen. Let's stand together, shall we?